Join me in appreciating those that have sacrificed for our freedom. So thank you for them. We must never forget that freedom comes with a great price, especially with certain individuals that lay down their lives. We're so thankful for them, always will be, always should be. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you take them and turn to Jeremiah chapter 29 today? Jeremiah chapter 29 in the Old Testament, uh, beginning in verse 4. I'm going to share with you probably one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible, uh, but we don't always understand exactly what else is said in that chapter Today, the title of the message is Now and Then. Now and Then. Jeremiah chapter 29. You won't find it in the New Testament, but you will find it in the Old Testament, in the middle of it, in the middle of a very large book, a difficult book, a book with lots of bad news. You have a very good news chapter in Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 4. Would you stand with me as uh, we begin to read the Word of God? Now, this is the passage of Scripture that has verse 11 in it, and most of us know verse 11 by heart. It is on many plaques, sometimes written on the wall. Uh, you see it on all kinds of uh, uh, scenarios where believers and followers of Christ place this verse in front of us because it brings hope and it brings a future. We probably have some in the room that have tattooed this on an arm or a leg to remind us of the power of this verse. But I want you to know not only the verse, but the whole context. Here's verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Now, if you love that verse, say amen. amen. I mean, I, I love the verse. I absolutely love what it says. I love what it means. I love what it reflects about the Lord and about who He is. But I want you to see it in its context today, beginning in verse 4 of Jeremiah chapter 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give daughters to your husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on behalf for its welfare. Ye will have welfare through it. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and, visit and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place that is to Israel. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. What an incredible passage for us today. Incredible not only for you as an individual, not only for Israel at a time of exile, but also incredible for us as believers in America today. Father, in Jesus' name, illuminate this text for us. Help us understand and comprehend what it means for us now. Remind us of the promise 
for them, but help us to live the life of now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated, if you will. So there's a great promise. There's good news. Uh, this verse has often been used as though it were a prescription for being down. Read Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Drink cold water while you wash that verse down. You'll feel better in the morning. We use this as an inspirational plaque on our walls. When someone's going through a difficult time, we quote this verse to them. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for peace and not calamity. I have a future for you and a hope for you. When we're looking for what college to attend, when we get out of high school, our parents quote this to us, I know the plans I have for you. When we're in a dark place, a dark corner, when we don't know what the future holds, when everything around us is seemingly dissolving, that's when we go back to this verse, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And it's always true that God has plans for us. This verse, this passage says as much about God as it does about those in that era. And we'll come back to that in just a few moments. But this passage has a now and then application. The I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, pertains to the then. But the Israelites were in the now for the moment. As you read the text, you know it's obvious that these people are in a bad place. In fact, this chapter of the book of Jeremiah is the only good chapter in a very big book of bad news. I read through the Bible every year, and every time I get to Jeremiah, I kind of take a big breath and say, oh man, I've got to work through Jeremiah. Now, I skip through Proverbs and Psalms. I enjoy reading the encouragement books, but man, when I go through Jeremiah, it's like carrying a whole weight with me as I get through that long, dreadful book about the judgment of God on the people that have been disobedient. But this is a good chapter in a book full of bad news. It's important that you know the bad news in order to see how good the good news is. And it's important for you to know this. If you're in a bad season of life, this is a really good chapter for you to be focusing on today. Because God always has good news, even in dark times, even in bad times, and even with his people who are under the judgment that God himself has placed them in. This is a message to people in exile. A people who have been taken out of their homeland and placed in a strange country called Babylon. And Babylon is not friendly to these people. Babylon is a place that's pagan. It's a place of idolatry. It's a place that's oppositional. In fact, in Psalm 137, verse 1, there's a verse that if you read it, you'll realize what the people were feeling at the time. This verse says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. When we remembered how good it was, when everyone around us thought the same way we thought, believed the same way we believed, worshiped the same God that we worship, but now we're in Babylon and everybody doesn't feel that way. Now we're in a place where there are many idols, a place where many false gods are, a place where we're not respected and we're not loved in the same way as we were in that time. And here's what God is doing in Jeremiah chapter 29. He's saying, even though you're in judgment, even though you're under the leadership of a pagan ruler, I'm still going to say something to you and I'm still going to do something through you. 
Now that's to bring a lot of encouragement to you today because who hasn't walked away from the will of the Lord? Who hasn't found themselves in a strange place in a strange time? Who hasn't found themselves far from God when in reality we don't know how we got so far from God and we're not sure how we get back. God still speaks to us and He still can speak through us if we'll listen. So that's what Jeremiah chapter 29 is all about. And it's not only a chapter for those that are in Israel, but it's a chapter with incredible principles for us today. Two things I want you to see in this text as a whole. I want you to see the season of now. And then I want you to see the season of then. In many ways, we live in a now and then existence. We have what we have in front of us. We have what we know we're supposed to do. We have what is happening around us right now, but there's always a then. There's a then where we see promises of God that we haven't seen fulfilled yet that we hope to see fulfilled one day. We see the truths of what, what God has said he's going to bring to pass someday. Then that's going to happen, but what happens now? I want to focus, first of all, on the now. In the first few verses I read, beginning in verse four, all the way through verse nine, we see the season of now. And God makes very plain that even though you're not in an ideal situation as Israel, in exile, in Babylon, there are some things you need to be doing. And so here's what he tells them to do. Three things, basically. He says, first of all, while you're in judgment, while you're in exile, while you're far from where you want to be, I want you to multiply your influence. Now, if you read verse five and six, you'll see that he gives them some very practical advice. He says, build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. In verse six, take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Influence, increase your influence, increase your presence in that pagan land. Now, the unique thing about being in exile in Babylon is that they're not slaves, but neither are they free to go. They are free to work, they are free to marry, given marriage. They are free to build homes and buy and make vineyards and eat the produce of all that. But they are there and cannot leave. Now, the background behind this is that they are there because of the judgment of God on their nation. They have disobeyed God for 490 years. Therefore, 70 years of judgment is going to happen to this group of people. And God says to them, while you're in judgment, while you're not in the place you want to be, I still want you to multiply your influence. While you're in exile, if you're a Jewish person, you do not have the chance to worship every week in a temple. The exile in Babylon meant that there was no temple. The exile meant there was no public worship. There were no public feasts. So here's what they had. All they had was to practice their faith in the living God within their families, in their home, by instructing one another, by observing the Sabbath, by keeping the laws that God had given them. They were living their faith out in a private way and not a public way. And God says, while you're in Babylon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to multiply your influence, pass your faith on to the next generation. Do everything you can to live out the faith I've given you to live because you're going to make an incredible difference just through the private practice of your faith. Sometimes we think our private practice doesn't matter. God says it does. Multiply your influence. About this time, we find in the Bible the story of a man named Daniel, a young man actually who, along with some of his friends, were taken into Babylonian exile themselves. 
And it was during this time Daniel lived out his faith in such a private way that it impacted even the rulers of Babylon. Read the book of Daniel someday. See how uncompromising this man Daniel was. See how bold his faith was. See how he trusted and believed God, even in the darkest of time. And that's what God is saying to all of Israel. That's what God says to us, no matter who we are, where we are, multiply your influence. The second thing God says to them is, bless your city. Bless the city where I've placed you. Even though you're in judgment, bless the city. Look in verse seven with me. And verse seven is very, very specific. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will have welfare. The word welfare there means health, and it means peace, and it means tranquility. God says to his people, let your influence for good and for God be felt. Now here's why that's always an impact when we live out our faith, because God's ways are distinctive. Wouldn't you say that God's ways are different from the ways of the world that we live in? Wouldn't you say that God's ways and his calling on our life is different from the nation we live in? And that was true of, of, Jewish, of the Jewish way of life and the Jewish practice of personal faith in a place called Babylon where there were no morals, where there was no right and wrong, where there no, were no, no real worship of the true God. And yet God says, I want you to live out your life and live out your faith because it makes an incredible difference even in the pagan land. As a matter of fact, even in the pagan land, the way you live out your faith day by day Let your light shine even more brighter than it would in any other kind of circumstance. This is the same kind of teaching Jesus gave the disciples when he said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your heavenly father. That's in Matthew chapter five. Or where he says, you are the salt of the earth. We're to preserve the world through our saltiness, through our personal, private practice of our faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to illuminate the world with the gospel of Jesus by living lives that are different and distinctive as individuals and as the church. So what God is saying to Israel then and what Jesus says to the church today is very similar. Multiply your influence. Bless your city. Now I was uh, looking at this text this week and I spent a lot of time thanking God for what God has done through this group of people in our church for the city. It's really incredible when you begin to think back 20 years, even 30 years ago, when those in this church began to have a vision for our community, for our city, for those that were not inside the walls of our church. I mean, I remember a few years ago having events or hearing about events long before I came here where, where multiple thousands would come together to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and be loved by the body of Christ here at the church. I remember when Jack Terrell started Kids Beach Club, and I remember all those public schools, first in this area and then throughout the United States of America, who, whose kids, whose children now hear the good news of Christ. Light and salt is taking place in there or Mid-Cities Pregnancy Center, where, where young girls at the, at the pinnacle of decision-making come together and hear what God says about that unborn baby inside of them. Incredible light, incredible welfare that we're seeking. Praying God would bless the city. Or, or Six Stones Ministry, where so many people have found 
food and clothing and help and hope, where we help people find jobs through the ministries uh, that started here in this church, all around us, all around us, there's the investment in our community. Seek the welfare of the city. God says to these people and to us, I don't know what's next, but I know God will always have us seeking the welfare of the city and we ought to seek the welfare of the city. Bless your city wherever you are. But living in Babylon is not without challenges, is it? Living in a nation that is not as sympathetic to Christianity is challenging as well. Don't you know that we live in a time of moral and social bankruptcy and it pushes our nation to the edge, it really does, to the edge of judgment. You don't feel exactly what these Israelites felt being in exile to Babylon, but you're not far off from feeling that because of what's going on in America. There's some things I would say to you. I'll quote Rick Warren today. I don't often quote Rick, but this is a great, great statement he made a few years ago. He said this about American culture and about Christians in American culture. He said, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone, you must agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. We live in a world that does not believe the way we believe. Just as those Jewish people were in exile, we're in a place where not everyone believes as we believe, and yet we are able to love everyone equally without accepting compromise. We're able to do it, but not only are we able to do it, we ought to be able to do that in incredibly important ways. Last week, we looked at a verse that's very important, and that's Romans chapter 12, verse 9. I want to bring it back to you today as a reminder of how important it is to live out the life we're called to live. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let this guide you. Let this lead you through life. Let it lead you through your witness as a Christian in, in a world that's moving in a different direction, in the wrong direction. And this is what the verse says. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Unhypocritical love, sincere love, doesn't look like sloppy agape, as we said last week. But sincere love simply means I love the person without having to love or accept the sin. We can't abhor what is evil, reject what is evil, and we can cling to what is good, and that is love without hypocrisy. And that's what we are called to do as believers. Here's an appeal for a balanced view of celebrating America. I love my country, and I hope you love your country too. I love America, but my love is to be non-hypocritical. I will always abhor what is evil in America and cling to what is good in America, and that informs how I celebrate and how I vote and how I speak. That's just how we're to live. We're not to accept anything wholesale but we're to filter it through God's truth in the Bible. We're to, to love without hypocrisy, to abhor what is evil, to cling to what is good. And that's incredibly important for us to do. We are to bless by living out your faith in his truths. So God says to Israel and to us, multiply your influence. He says to us, bless your city. And then he says, maintain your focus. If you look in verse 8, you'll see that God says, don't let your prophets deceive you. You see, Israel was going to be in 
judgment for 70 years, in exile for 70 years. But the false prophets of that day were trying to shortchange that. They were saying, oh, it won't be long before God comes and sets you free. So don't worry about buying and selling. Don't worry about uh, emerging and investing in your culture. Don't worry about all that. Someday you'll find someone to rescue you and it will probably be soon. And God says, I did not say that and you should not listen to them. I want to tell you today that there are a lot of false prophets even today in the world as there were then. And the goal of the false prophet is to get you to follow them while ignoring more significant things that God has called you to. And if they'd listened to the false prophets, it would have minimized their immersion and their investment in the community. False prophets find an easy job because people are looking for something to rescue them. But I will say false prophets abound because it's a whole lot easier to talk than to work. It's a lot easier to promise an empty promise that they actually verify what God has said. And here's what God has said to them. He said, I want you to immerse yourself in your culture. I want you to invest in your culture. I want you to maintain your focus and don't be distracted. Now, I hope all kinds of wonderful things, changes, wonderful things change in America. I, I, I have a hope that great things can occur and I pray for great things to occur and even greater than that, I have great hope and expectation that Jesus will come back soon. Don't you? But I'm not going to be idle until that day. And the reason I'm not going to be idle is because God tells me I have a job to do. And God tells you, you have a job to do. And you have a purpose and you have a place. And you need to immerse yourself in your culture. And you need to invest in the people's lives and that culture so that they may know the God that you know. Do not be distracted. I was reminded of something I saw a few years ago. And I looked it up on the internet, sure enough, it's still out there. It's called the awareness test. And it's a little video about 30 to 40 seconds long on YouTube where the testing of someone's awareness of what's happening in that video is taking place. It constitutes with uh, two sets of three people in teams. There are three men dressed in black and three men dressed in white. There's a basketball for each of these two teams. And so they're passing the ball while intermingling in a circle. And the awareness test takes place with these guys moving in all which directions. And the question is asked of the viewer, how many times does the team in white pass the ball? And so I'm watching, I'm watching. I'm gonna make sure since I played basketball back in the day, I'm gonna not miss this one, right? So I'm watching carefully. And 13 times the ball is passed. And so the end of the test takes place and the question comes off the screen. How many times did the team in white pass the basketball? And I said 13 out loud to a computer. I said that. <laughs> and then it flashed on the screen 13 times. If you said 13, you're correct. And then the next line said, but did you notice the gorilla that walked through the whole scene while you were counting the basketballs? <laughs> and I honestly had not seen the gorilla. And what happened is they played it back in slow motion. And while those teams were passing the basketball, a gorilla, or actually a man dressed in a gorilla costume, walked in front of the video, beat his chest, and walked out. And I missed the whole thing. <laughs> so I guess you would say I'm not very aware. But the point was, while counting something insignificant, you miss the most unusual thing taking place. False prophets do that for us. False prophets get us focused on something so intently we miss what God says. 
In the middle of the whole picture, we miss what God says because we're looking for prosperity or we're looking for the quick return of Jesus. Hey, I want people to be prosperous. I want them to do well. I want Jesus to come back. But until then, there's something that we must be about. Do not miss the focus God has caused you to, to immerse and invest in the people around you. We have a job to do. By the way, Judaism survived Babylonian culture. A Babylonian culture is now no more. In fact, you can go find some of the ruins, but barely. But Judaism thrives around the world. And by the way, Christianity has survived every regime that ever oppressed it. Since Christianity has survived every corrupt culture in the history of the world, our response to the current moral trend is not to worry, neither do we do nothing. Light shines, salt savers, truth matters, prayer works, love overcomes, Jesus saves, and the gospel transforms. Do you believe that today? I believe that today. So we have a job to do. Have you thought about your role in transforming culture? That's what God's called you to do. The season of now and then the season of then. By the time you get to verse 10, God is already talking about then. He says, here's what you're to do now. But in verse 10, he begins to summarize the season of now. He says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Now notice God is speaking in terms of future at this moment. In the midst of all this darkness, in the midst of all this difficulty, in the midst of everything that Israel is going through in Babylonian exile, God is bringing a word of hope. He's saying your time of exile is not accidental. There is a purpose. And God shows up with this amazing verse of hope. And the verse says, I know the plans that I have for you. You wonder if God's through with you yet, and yet God says this, I know the plans I have for you. You wonder if what your purpose is for the future, God says, I know the plans that I have for you. You wonder how you're going to escape the judgment and all the other things that you've gotten yourself into by disobedience or missing God's will or whatever it may be. And God says to you, I know the plans I have for you. If you ask me, how do you know God has plans for my life? I'll say, if you're still here, God still has plans for your life. If you're still alive and you're still breathing, God still has a purpose for you. Believe it. God says to Israel, while entering into 70 years of judgment, I know the plans that I have for you. I want you to think about this for just a moment that the greatest lessons you'll ever learn in life come during dark times, tough times, confusing times. That's when you learn to walk by faith in a God of hope. When you can't see hope, when you can't feel hope, when nothing around you feels familiar, where, where nothing around you says hope, and you have hope in the God who says that he has plans for you, that's when you learn to walk by faith. You don't learn to walk by faith by giving up, by going in a different direction, by looking for another God, by listening to false prophets and then being disappointed. You learn faith by trusting God in dark times. Yes. We just don't like to trust God in dark times because we don't like dark times. We had some storms come through here recently and, and part of what happened was lights went out at night. I remember getting up in the middle of the night 
not too many days ago, and all the lights in our home were completely out. The lights that are normally outside our house, on the poles where you have street lights, et cetera, were out. Everything was out, everything was dark. And as I got up and made my way through a dark house, I thought I was on familiar ground. I've lived in that house for a long, long time. I know every room, every door, but I found myself bumping into doors and bumping into walls and falling over things because it was completely dark. I was just glad we didn't have a bunch of little children with Legos left on the floor. That's what I was happy about. Sometimes even in a place where you're most familiar, it is the darkest. I had to find myself slowing down, reaching out, making sure I knew where the walls were, where the doors were to get to where I needed to go. And sometimes it's like that in the Christian life and sometimes it's like that for the church in a place like America. But during those dark times, God's word comes through over and over. I know the plans I have for you. I know the future I have for you. We worry, but God has been in the future. And I want you to know that God who declares the end from the beginning is saying to us, I've been in the future and I'm coming back from the future to tell you, I still have plans for you. You don't know what they are. You don't know what's going to happen, but I do. And I haven't forgotten where I've laid them. I haven't forgotten what they are. I'm telling you, I have plans for you. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Now, Israel was finally released from bondage. But an even greater thing than release from bondage happened to them when Christ was born to the nation of Israel as a Messiah. Christ's first coming turned the world upside down and his second turned the world into his eternal kingdom. We have a then coming, people. We have a then coming. And because we have a then coming, because God is going to come and do all that he will, we still have that promise in front of us. I know the plans I have for you, but what we do until hope is fully born is to do what he told us to do. Our hope is in the then, but our responsibility is in the now. Be faithful in the now, and you'll be glad in the then. Be loyal in the now, and you'll rejoice in the then. Be happy in the now, knowing that God's got a plan for your life. And then one day you'll see him and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We live in a now and then kind of world. 600 years after these people were released from bondage, Jesus has already come and died and risen again the third day. The church has been formed. And Peter, the apostle Peter, is writing to the church in a very wicked season nationally where Rome and Nero, the emperor, were persecuting them. And he gives a very similar message that God gave to the, to the Israelite captives. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, does the words I'm going to read to you. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. In other words, I want you to live out your faith in a very real and personal way as strangers in a land. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's salt, that's light. 
Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake for every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. In other words, live out your faith in a pagan land. As believers, we know we have a now and then mindset. We know that we're not of this world and we know there's a greater promise coming. What we sometimes do not realize is the amazing opportunity of now. As a witness, as a people of blessing, as unique people living in a fallen world, live in the now. And until then, seek him for his purpose for you now. You know, the latter part of the passage that we looked at deserves another look. In verse 12, he says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You're not looking for solutions. You're looking for God. You're not looking for a plan. You're looking for God. You're not looking for an earthly savior or political victory. You're looking for God. Seek me. And when you seek me, you'll find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I want you to bow your head. In a moment, we'll give an invitation. We'll sing a song. We'll worship the Lord one more time today. But we'll ask you to respond today. Perhaps you need to come make a decision today. Talk to someone about giving your life to Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay for our sin so that you can be forgiven and have a life of following him. Perhaps today, you've been living the life of now, but you've been living it your way. Instead of as a witness, as an ambassador, as someone who's going to make a difference. Maybe you're so wrapped up in your own life, you're not thinking about blessing others. And as I pray today, I urge you to respond. I ask our counselors to come to the front. They'll stand at the front during the song. And as they prepare to meet you, as they prepare to talk to you, you'll have plenty of time to be prayed for, to get your questions answered. Father, in Jesus' name today, thank you so much that you call us to it now and then life and the promises you have for us are amazing. They're incredible. They're personal. You know us and you know the plans you have for us. You have plans for peace and not calamity that give us a future and a hope and we all need that hope. And Lord, today, help us to stand in faith and believe you for that, but also to live in the now as obedient, trusting servants. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to say and do in the lives of those in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me as we worship him one more time.